0: hey everybody it's mark and doug of course and we are the two of twos and threes a utah jazz podcast so doug i know this has happened to you quite often since i mean we've been doing this podcast since the beginning of october so it's been about 10 months um and often you're walking down the street maybe you're in costco assuredly wearing a mask and people come up and they're like hey doug like i have a friend who's super interested in the jazz and interesting witty sports talk and sometimes like fawning over von miller and occasional college football talk um i want to recommend him twos and threes the utah jazz podcast but like which episode should i have him listen to the most recent one another one i mean this has happened to you right
1: um yeah definitely i'm pretty sure the last person was Zach Mortensen when I was at the free
0: throw line in a city league game probably (laughs) oh man sounds like fonder times gone (laughs) by but in the spirit of that I mean twos and threes we it's been a weekly more or less weekly podcast during the jazz season a little less frequently while it's been off um but we always try to talk about timely jazz stuff but also stuff that's not so timely about the jazz and there've been a bunch of segments and there's usually at least one or two in every episode. It's just jazz talk that you could listen to anytime, regardless of the time and just plug in and, and go. And so the spirit of this pod is um, to begin a series of what I'm calling evergreen jazz podcast, alternate title, timeless jazz talk, which is just um, a few highlights of conversations we've had. Some just us, some with other people that we uh, have had on the pod about the jazz uh, that you need no time or context to listen to. Yeah,
1: this is our treat just for the fans to give them that content that they've been searching for, but that is still relevant and
0: not needing time. That's right. So I'm going to... We'll put a few more of these out. This is the first one of these. This covers a few conversations from our first two or three episodes of the pod. So each one, my son, Lucas, um, (laughs) our... sort of interludial voice of the pod, uh, we'll introduce the topic, but we cover defining jazz memories. We cover thoughts on Quinn, thoughts on Rudy, um, best centers, weird takes on jazz mascots, and uh, even our grandma joins this one. So hope jazz fans enjoy. Um, Listen up. We'll have regular pods going too still, but we want uh, just to throw these out here every now and then um, for a quick listen. So have fun
1: stay hang in there out there hang in there out
0: there
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was probably the you know i i was completely tuned into what you were saying and not trying to think of what i should say so that's it's
0: so good uh that's, that's hang in there that's, out
1: there people <laughs> and just just enjoy hang this. In there out there hashtag
0: hang in there out there jazz fans let's get it trending um so, sounds good all right here's the pod uh enjoy beautiful
1: favorite jazz memories
0: yay all right so the first one i did was um just this is digging into history a little bit so the three most defining jazz memories that you have um and the caveat here is that the john stockton shot's just obvious so i just took it out um even though like it was a special moment it's obviously the the most important one to me I, it sadly went to bed a little early that night, like dad forced me and then woke me up when John Stockton was going on an incredible run. We, I was going crazy on his bed, lovely moment, but that's excluded. Um, so I got, I got, I can give you my first one and then yeah, maybe we it. can go one at a time. <laughs> so this was hard. Um, but I'm going weird. I like, I think a defining memory for me was blue Edwards being in the dunk contest. Um, Blue Edwards doesn't have a super, didn't have a super like memorable jazz career. Um, but I did go to a junior jazz camp that he was in and, uh, he seemed super cool. And then he was in the dunk contest, which to me at the time was like the coolest thing that anybody could possibly do. And he was on the jazz and I, and the jazz weren't super associated with being cool. Um, at that stage in my life, they were the, the thing that I loved more than anything, but you know we lived far away from the state of Utah, and I was the only jazz fan I knew, other than like two other people from Utah. So, um, blue letters in the dunk contest. I realized, oh, like, like I can I can be cool and be a jazz fan. Very important. What do you, What do you think? Oh,
1: I like that.
0: Yeah, you got one.
1: Um, and so. When I was thinking about this, because for the listeners, obviously, we have a 10-year memory gap because you're 10 years older than me, so I thought – I I was trying to think of the most relevant things in my memory. And so the first most memorable defining moment that I could think of was what has scarred me the most – not anymore, but Gordon Hayward leaving and Rudy Gobert posting and singing to these hoes ain't loyal. And I knew, I knew at that point, the jazz were totally fine. And with that, with the Rudy Gobert post, and this this second post only lasted for like a half hour or an hour tops, but the jazz, whoever was in charge of jazz social media at that time was also super vindictive and posted a picture of Rudy Gobert pounding his chest. And I think the caption was like, We're all good, or like this is our guy, or something like that.
0: That's amazing. I totally forgot about the about that part. I definitely Uh, remember that these hoes ain't loyal. Like that's, I would like run through a wall for Rudy Gobert for many reasons, but that that's probably the the beginning of that feeling.
1: Yeah, so that that was when I knew the Jazz were still fine.
0: That's awesome. Then obviously
1: Donovan came along, but
0: that's awesome. My my second one's kind of in the same vein because it was after like a depressing Jazz stint, so. So, um, in 2004, I just, sorry, 2006, um, you know, the jazz are coming off of a, an ugly stretch. And I, I just was in Japan for the prior two years, not watching any sports. So I missed like the whole Darren Williams rookie season. And I came in and went to the Rocky Mountain Review. I think that's what it's called. It used to be like the summer league that they did at Salt Lake Community College and, in this little gym sitting right behind these two refs who were like talking the whole time which was kind of interesting and darren williams was playing and i was just like who is this dude he was so good and i was like all like at the time i was like trying to figure out what am i doing in college i was about to get married i was thinking of all these things like i was like how much did the jazz matter in my life and then it was like oh no darren williams like we're gonna have a long and and fruitful relationship and it was an interesting one but, but it was amazing. And the bonus point of that memory is there was this little dude in there just working everyone. And I was like, this dude is gonna dominate in like Turkey and maybe even like Real Madrid. And it was JJ Berea. And like two years later, I saw him like actually in an NBA game. I was like, he made it. And th- anyways, kind of kind of random memory, but
1: that, that's funny. So that wasn't one of my top. Ta- top memories, but I actually, that's like my first jazz memory is a Darren Williams summer league game. I don't think I was there with that one, it, uh, with you, but I i do remember my dad saying, or our dad obviously saying like, oh, we're going to go see Darren Williams. And I was like, what the heck? Who's Darren Williams? Yeah. And then, yeah, it was all changed after that.
0: All those memories that you have with your dad are are warm to my heart as well.
1: Right. <laughs> So, um all right, so my second one and I went for a more organizational um importance on this one, but it was when this is also when I learned what a trust fund was. But when Gail Miller put the put the jazz in a trust fund. I think that was huge. Gosh for the jazz, the state of Utah. Um, I feel like I always have this irrational fear that all the things that are awesome in life will go away. (laughs) And and when the jazz were put in the trust fund and I then learned what a trust fund was and (laughs) the overarching importance and meaning of that move by Gail Miller um, and just solidifying the fact that the jazz are in Utah and the jazz are here to stay and it's a part of everything that is Salt Lake City. I think that is something that it's monumental for
0: the jazz. I love it. That's one of those things that, like you, I was like Googling what it meant. And I think I've tried to explain it to people without fully understanding what it means, <laughs> right. like 90 times. Where I'm like, yeah, but no, the jazz owner did. Th- and they're never going to move. That's like, I just kind of needed to jump to that thing. But that that's a be- that's a perfect one. I love it. All right. I'll give you my third. This was hard. I had a few, you know, I went back and forth with a few things, um, but I've been trying to go through. You know, the span of the history, but this, this might be on your list. I don't know. Um, so, Jazz playoffs a couple of years ago, I am in North Carolina at our, our sisters, two of our sisters were living like in the, both in Durham at the time. And it's game one of the Jazz Clippers. And my family's flying back to California that night or the next morning. And I'm like, all day, we're all excited for this game. I kind of turn it on. Everybody bails. Everybody bails in the whole house. Stephanie and her family. Michelle and her family. my Kristen, everybody. It was not my wife. Everybody goes to sleep. And like two seconds in, um, Rudy gets hurt, right? And I'm just like, by myself, muttering like a madman. I've been so excited for this playoffs. And then Joe Johnson just like pulls me from the the depths of despair and i when he made that shot i was like screaming i was jumping no one was around it, and
1: i was across the country with you <laughs> i was there
0: with you it was, i don't even know why we weren't on the phone like that that's an you know i don't know if like time and technology can explain that but it was i was alone and it was amazing it was like life affirming it was you know uh it instilled faith in the the human experience uh everything about it was perfect it was like exactly what you want from fandom Derek Derek Favors just played like a lion it was it was amazing and but Joe Jesus just taking it to the cup right there it was I I don't know I'll never forget that
1: yeah that that was awesome that was on my list but um I I feel like Joe Johnson could have only played that one game for the jazz and he is forever enshrined in my like fab five of 100%. the jazz.
0: <laughs> 100%.
1: Um, but okay. So my last one, and this is also a little more, I think it, it was the same season. Um, and it was, um, around the time where the jazz started to go on their on their big run. But, um, it was when Quinn Snyder just went ballistic and showed the jazz, and Donovan and all the guys, his loyalty when he got, I think it was his first, um, his first time he was ever ejected. And I don't know if you remember this, but
0: I hundred percent. I remember this. I think about this, oh. like regular, like maybe a daily.
1: It was, he just, <laughs> he literally just chose to go ballistic just to prove a point And just to show the guys that he was always going to have their back and go for them. But I remember watching it and I was like, Oh my gosh, like, Quinn Snyder, he's trying to get thrown
0: out. <laughs> he, yeah, he literally like he was, went out after each one of them, like pointing at them. Like, uh, yeah, was he was amazing. pointing
1: at them. He was screaming at everyone. And then Donovan and Joe Ingles ended up having to grab him.
0: And yeah, but didn't like back. Donovan? May, I'm not conflating memories. Didn't Donovan then like afterwards like put his hands up to get the crowd to cheer louder or something after they <laughs> kicked him out? Gosh.
1: Yeah, and I think the the big like his thing was that like Donovan wasn't. He was just like getting hacked, and really like everyone on the Jazz is getting hacked, and they weren't calling anything. And he just went berserk. And honestly, I think ever since then, I don't know if it's like, like under the cuff that like all the refs just have respected the Jazz so much more <laughs> ever since that moment. And I, I, I think that was that was defining for like this era of the Jazz. Totally, it was, it was huge.
0: Yeah, uh, it's perfect. I, I, literally, I'm like kind of amped up right now, and I, I just woke up. To-
1: Mark
0: loves Quinn. Yay! Quinn Snyder has now officially become my favorite coach all time, which is really hard for me to say. Doug, when Jerry Sloan retired, I remember this so vividly. I was, I was, it was my third year of law school. And it was the third, it was like the last semester. I already had my job. I Things were lined up. So I was really focused on that jazz season. Like we got Al, we had Al Jefferson. We had like the, I, I was super hyped for him. Um, Gordon Hayward. I was like coming around a little bit on him. Um, But we had like the Paul Millsap miracle in Miami thing. Like I was just in, but the, it wasn't going super great. And then there was the whole Bulls game. And, but I was still like a big believer. And I get in my car to drive to school and like, it comes on sports radio Jerry Sloan's retired. And it's like you hit me with a ton of bricks. Like I was, I literally said to Kristen afterwards, this is bad. I don't know. But I was like, I feel, I don't even say names. I feel like when a prominent religious leader in my life had died (laughs) when Jerry Sloan retired, that was my description of it. Uh, I didn't, you know, it wasn't like a PC thing or whatever, but that was just me being honest. And so that's how much I love Jerry Sloan baseline, but Quinn Snyder is the best man and the the main reason is similar to that thing that you said but i love like hugging quinn snyder not me personally but i love the the version of quinn snyder that hugs people Oh yeah, Yeah, yeah. like and i've got three quinn snyder hugging memories that i will like just sometimes think about just to make myself smile so starting in order of like less importance sorry for the stutter one, Jay Crowder after they beat Boston. Like right. anybody who saw that just it, it would be hard to be pessimistic about anything, right? It was beautiful. They embraced it meant everything to Jay Crowder. It meant everything to Quinn. I thought it like X's and O's aside, which he's a genius, this dude's the man. Like what what an incredible coach. Second, hugging Donovan in the playoffs after they beat the Thunder. Like that was just like the ultimate like euphoria. Um, like healing of the of the stayward debacle wound. Um right. It started with the Rudy tweet, and it culminated in that moment. Um, amazing. And then my favorite, my personal favorite. I wonder if you remember this one. Um, there the Jazz were playing the Spurs. Manu Ginobili's last season. They go to him in the end, and Royce O'Neal just who nobody knew before that season just like guards the hell out of him and like forces him into a long two that misses or maybe it was a three. And Quinn like runs onto the court, grabs him, hugs him, and like punches him almost in the chest. He's so happy. (laughs) He's looking at Royce. I like I have that somewhere on my Twitter time as I saved it because it was like uh it's that's almost a defining jazz memory in and of itself. But for Quinn Snyder it's like I'm in on this guy like a hundred percent forever. And my one little addendum to that too, not a hug thing, but this was like the drum that I was beating on Twitter to my like eight followers last year. But everybody was like showing the Donovan season from like January 1st on. He did like that whole new me, new year, new me thing. But the first couple of weeks of January, he was just fine. There was a game. It was January 9th and it was on national TV. And he came out really bad first quarter. And they caught Quinn on camera looking at him, just straight face, kind of matter of fact, and being like, "Put your head down and go to the effing rim." Although he's thin-saving. <laughs> and then that got caught on Twitter put, and from that moment on, he was like 29 points. <laughs> it was amazing. Like, like I, ha- I like tweeted that on like some of those stats, like Andy Bailey or somebody like grabbed it and then would like update it every now and then. Or a-, a couple other people did from January 9th on. His that was like the true demarcation point. So, Quinn Snyder, the coach of the year, the coach of my life, the coach of everything. Uh, uh, I'm a fanboy.
1: I'm literally right on there with you. I think honestly, like he's like he, I don't know. He embodies everything that is jazz culture and just like hard work. He's I don't know. He's an awesome interview too. He's not like a totally a jerk or anything like that. And he's got
0: great hair. His hair is amazing. He also, like, healed the wound that I had from... Like, I was just bummed when we didn't hire Jeff Hornacek. And then he went to the Suns. And Jeff Hornacek was... And, and, like, he's obviously had a rocky coaching career. I don't don't think his fault since then. But at first it was like, oh, man, Jeff's awesome. And we don't have Jeff anymore. We went the other way. But it all came around, man. I still... Hornacek, like, wish him the best. Hope he goes somewhere other than... The Suns and the Knicks, who are like two of the worst franchises in sports and uh, worst run franchises. But, anyways, yeah, Quinn, Quinn's awesome.
1: Doug on Rudy. Yay! I think I've talked to you about this a little bit before, but this is a theory that I have about Rudy Gobert and the NBA. And I just think it's, I don't know, it's just m- like multiple times when I've listened to or watched different like Sports Center or ESPN or national media. Like, someone was talking about French players, so like, really good French players, and they didn't name Rudy Gobert.
0: Unbelievable. Or,
1: and, like, they said, like, Evan Fournier and, like, I don't know, Tony Parker, random dudes, and, well, obviously, those guys are both... They're guys, like,
0: Tony but, Parker and Boris Dion, you're like, they're retired! <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and I just I don't understand why... Rudy Gobert is not a bigger deal. And this is kind of like my theory, and I, I wonder what you think. Maybe I'm way off. But I think Rudy Gobert isn't as big, uh, like, media-wise in the NBA just because of his accent. Or, like, just because oh, he's French. I
0: love and, this take. <laughs>
1: and, and I honestly think just, like, I don't know, like, I bet nationally way more people know who, like, Andre Drummond is than Rudy Gobert yeah or, like no one gives Rudy any credit and then he just sneaks in as defensive player of the year two years in a row and I think I think it's an international thing I think that uh this, I, I, like, I, I, I I do have, think
0: like from a player ex-player perspective like there have been a lot of dudes like Kendrick Perkins which it's like why do we care what you think um right but who are I I do think there's like an yeah an international bias with some American ex-players and and Media members too, for sure I don't know, dude, you're speaking my language Like, when you talk about Rudy Gobert NBA theory Like, Rudy Gobert, like, life theory Is is what I think about all the time Because I think You've heard me say this, Rudy Gobert um, Is my favorite basketball player Since Karl Malone And I don't make that lightly And I, Karl Malone was, you know Like, is sort of a tough, unassailable spot For me But, Rudy... Rudy is objectively the best defender in the NBA. He's objectively one of the best, most effective and efficient offensive players. I, I, just, I, like, I don't want to get into all stats. I don't even have on hand. I would just say, like, go see David Locke and his whole body of work. Like, screen assists, gravity, whatever. Points gained, real plus minus. By, like, any metric, Rudy Gobert is a top ten player in the NBA. And yet still people all the time will be like, I don't know, he kind of looks funny when he's playing or something. Like, he's kind of awkward. And it's like, who cares? Results. (laughs) Results. Like, uh, to me, it's like, you can do a lot of things in life like that. It's like, oh, but that one looks kind of funny or that one looks cool. But it's like, oh, no, but it's better. Like, it turned out better. Or, or like, do you want, like, the truth of something or the thing that you just assume at a surface level looking? uh, Like, review. And... I, I don't know Rudy I mean I love like to me this is my hot take but about certain international players but I think a lot of times they have a better perspective maybe it's they've had to come to a different environment or, or whatever I think Boris Diaw was like the epitome of this he'd be out there and you'd be like does Boris even know that this is on TV like he doesn't even seem to be flustered at all. right Right. and maybe to his detriment sometimes in terms of like the weighty game but but like but like how old Neto would come into a game and like outplay his skill set all the time just because i think he was like whatever dude i'm good i'm gonna like just do good like we're just playing basketball um but i i so i i like love rudy's attitude and i think he has been the anchor i mean i think he's the reason why losing gordon hayward they're still in the playoffs the next year all this stuff But, yeah, people just, like, hate on him. He cried after the All-Star thing, and I was like, I love this guy even more. And people are like, this is dumb. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. I
1: just feel like there's this weird stigma with at least, like, the NBA culture that people don't – unless they like Zeklo or other people that – like David Locke, obviously. But he just doesn't get the credit that he deserves. And while while you were talking and after I had said that just because he's French – I thought, like, does Rudy Gobert really even? I mean, maybe he doesn't want um, recognition, or I—I I don't think he cares about being, like, LeBron or the most sought-after person in the NBA. But no. at the same time, I think he does
0: care. Like, I think he, wears, he cares, like, dude. A, a pink suit or yeah, like a, he's a driven. Flashy. He's got an interesting personality. I think, like, f- he makes really interesting political and social sort of. Consciousness, like awareness, takes like all the time on on Twitter. I he does. Yeah. I I like him just as a human being, from what I know. Obviously, we don't hang out other than like in my dreams, but uh, <laughs> but yeah. To me, it's like he's super special. Uh, he went from the point where I went to the FIBA World Cup when when we lived in Spain and it was in Madrid and saw France play. um I'm pretty sure it's Croatia. It was whatever team. William Bogdanovich now in the Utah Jazz is on. And I was like kind of at that point, not even that focused on Rudy Gobert, the Jazz fan. He like came in with like sort of that level of sort of like, he was just the real, oh, we got that dude with like the super long arms in the combine, right? And we had favors and we had canter and stuff. And he went, he dominated that game. He dominated that tournament and knocked off Spain with the Gasol brothers. And I can tell you the hype train for Spain in that tournament was massive. It was in Spain. All those guys were in their prime, and, and Rudy Gobert was the reason that France beats Bain. And then he's just like, ever since then, it's like, oh yeah, when he plays, the Jazz are like a million points better than the other team. That's a stat. You, you can quote that stat. And then when he doesn't play, they're, not as, uh, they're less than a million points, like a lot less than a million points better than the other team. <laughs> right. And everybody else who's on the lists of those kind of difference makers is like Steph Curry. James Harden, LeBron James. But then people are like, yeah, but but Andre Drummond's really better. Then Miles Turner goes in a press conference, and he's like, yeah, he's the defensive Player of the Year to some. And then Rudy goes out and gets like 20-something, 16, and three blocks. And Miles Turner's like, one, two, and one. And I'm like, dude, I want the U.S. to win this, but I really don't like you right now. And I'm rooting for Rudy Gobert. So, um I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 a funny thing. I, uh, you know, I've joked about this with you before, but like my secret, like hope, dream, or whatever, is that like they that he wins Finals MVP before he wins uh, before he's on an All Star team. But I, I think I think he'll probably be on an All Star team this year because they'll, their record will be good enough. But yeah, I agree. A bruised banana is a treat. Yay! I'm calling this one um, – I'll go first. I'm calling the segment this week, A Bruised Banana is a Treat. So for this, I texted you and said, try to think of something that mom or dad or a grandparent or somebody used to say a lot that applies to the jazz. Um, and as a backstory, when when we were young, I, at least when I was a kid, I don't know if dad ever said this to you, but um, he would often – like dad's pretty, pretty easygoing guy. Um, but every now and then he, you know, he gets that uh, annoyed look on his face, which I've been told I get as well. And, uh, and it often came up when he was thinking we were a little just acting soft or spoiled. And I remember one time complaining about a big banana bruise and he was like, when I was a kid, a bruised banana was a treat. And I was like, BS dad like it didn't work on me right I was like (laughs) but I mean like yeah sure dad and you ate bread and milk all the time which I think was true Um, (laughs) but fast forward years later I'm there with my two daughters Haley and Avery this is like four or five years ago so they're young they're like six and three or something and they get a banana with a, a brown thing on it and they're like what's that and I'm like oh you know Grandpa Kai always says a bruised banana is a treat that's a bruised banana. That's it's a treat. And they were like, oh, okay. And they totally bought it. And for like two years, they'd be like, oh, is it bruised? Ah, a bruised banana is a treat. Grandpa <laughs> kind of thinks, I, I kid you not, Doug, this worked. It was amazing. And so until finally it like wore off, you know, I think I tried it on uh-huh. Lucas and he was like, no, it's not. Um, but for the girls, for two years, a bruised banana was a treat. Bringing this back to the jazz. I don't want to say, like, call anybody this, but getting Jeff Green is a little bit like a Bruce banana. <laughs> just, <laughs> just in the sense that there's this long history of people trading for Jeff Green for a lot. Of, I mean, this came up in the Hollinger article that I was saying. Trading for Jeff Green for a lot, he's so athletic. He, he, look, he is, like, one of the few guys who physically compares to LeBron James in the NBA. And he's had flashes of being awesome. Like, in the Eastern Conference Finals with Boston, or sorry, with the Cavs, like he he sort of put them over the top to get to the finals. And with the Thunder, it was like this with the Celtics. I texted you this thing. We don't need to talk about it much, but just, I'll, I'll like tweet it out with the link to this podcast for people to watch. But the Ringer did this awesome um, video, I think written by Ryan Rossillo, that was like an NBA AA, like Alcoholics Anonymous type thing where people sit in a, in a circle and talk about the players that they keep believing in despite of their failures. And it's really, really funny. It especially, was especially if you're a jazz fan because there's like Rodney Hood is in there Dante Exum is in there and Jeff Green and Jeff Green is like the key one um but the truth is I'm in the believing that a bruised banana is a treat face right now like it's coming like at first we tr- we were trading for everybody this and I was like oh man like I'm in on Mike Conley now okay great Bogdanovich what a great fit like I loved him from when I saw him in the World Cup, I loved him on the Nets. I loved him, it was just great pickup. He was awesome on the Pacers last year. We're just like, Ed Davis, it all makes sense. And then it's like Jeff Green, and I like, guess a rule in my mind, I'm like, oh, Jeff Green equals not that, that great of results. And then And then I was like, but actually he was kind of good last year on Washington. And actually we're getting him on the minimum. And then people are like, smart people were like, putting on like in articles and on Twitter, like actually though, in this role, Jeff Green makes a lot of sense. And then I've been watching him in interviews, he's like going to Disney World with Mike Conley with their kids together. Um, He like wants to be there and he is this athletic, versatile, big body that we really need losing Derek Favors and, and some of the other dudes. And I'm all in, I like love, I think I tweeted, it was late, I was kind of half awake and I think I tweeted like two weeks ago like I would give my life for Jeff Green after like seeing one of his interviews. So I'm I'm in. Uh, he's my bruised banana. I want it more bruised. It just means it's more ripe, and I love it.
1: I, I love that. OK, so there's a definite generation gap between the 10 years of your childhood and the 10 years of mine with okay. his dad. A Brisbane and it was never a treat <laughs> no, <just> kidding,
0: <laughs> I think I, think the, that, I <laughs> think the treats got a lot better I think the treats got a lot better a decade later um, having yeah, visited your, you one guys one have like on. creamies all the time and like you're always like stocked with like the good kind of chocolate milk so I yeah I, I, right. <laughs> no doubt that. but anyways did you have yeah, but, did you have one
1: yeah I do I do um, I did want to make a, a comment on that that I've always loved Jeff Green and I still remember when he was drafted uh Sonics, right? They were still the Sonics. Totally. Team. And I was like, "Oh man, Jeff Green and Kevin Durant." Like Oh
0: yeah, at like, the time well, it was like those two and then um having Harden and then ultimately Westbrook and Cameron, which one came. but it was just like, "Oh, these guys are going to rule the NBA forever."
1: Yeah. And but then and then and then I and then I still always liked him and I was kind of like, Where, like where's Jeff Green?" And then and then when he got his heart surgery and uh, and they, ESPN did a big article on that. And I was like, oh,
0: this guy's awesome. Well, that's the other uh, thing. It's like a Sean Livingston type of a story where if he could have, like, get the ring with the jazz now after that, like, horrible health thing early, that'd yeah. be awesome, too.
1: Yeah, totally. So, and mine is also a dad quote. Okay. <laughs> but dad Shout would out I dad. say, and I don't know if maybe I was, like, always on the verge of quitting things or if I was just <laughs> a... But I just have ingrained in my memory, Dad, saying Hinsies never quit. <laughs> there you go. And who knows? Maybe. I, I mean, I quit soccer, but football. <laughs> I think it was a good choice. But <laughs>
0: you, I always thought you had a future in soccer too. That's the problem. Right? I could have been a goalie. You could have been the. That's like the American prototype for players in Europe. Is like, you're the goalie in the Premier League right now. But anyways.
1: Yeah, I know. I quit. Sorry, uh, Dad. And Hinsies weren't supposed to, but. And so so I thought of that when you when you said to think of um famous parent or grandparent quotes. And I think that's kind of like the mantra for the jazz. And I feel like they've just continually been building up to where they are right now through through the rough days of a young Gordon Hayward and post Darren Williams to now the beauty of Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, Jingles, all the guys. Um I think I think it's been cool that I mean like the Jazz have done it the right way, you know? Um like they, I mean no tank game and they've just been slowly building to where I I mean they're pretty legitimate contenders. And so I don't know if Jazz win a championship or not? I mean, you can hang your hat on the fact that
0: they—they've
1: always tried to do their best.
0: Yeah, Um, I'm. I'm with you. Now, I will
1: like have a sentimental cop out either if they don't win.
0: No, but here's the thing, like. First of all, I'd be remiss to not acknowledge the fact that we totally tanked the year we got Dante Exum, so we definitely tanked that year. Um, right, but that was in a year of transitional turmoil, I think, for the Jazz. But after the Gordon Hayward thing, no, and it has been building. And I, I thought about this a lot last year with Kawhi Leonard on the Raptors, right? Like, I think I asked you this, like, or I can't remember, but it's it felt like if the Jazz in 1996 traded Carl Malone for Shaq, um, with the DeRozan Kawhi Leonard thing. And we had Shaq for one year and we knew, or the last year of Shaq on the magic or something. And we had Shaq for one year and then he bolted to the Lakers and we won the championship. How would I feel about that? And the truth is, I feel kind of cheap. I'm like, no offense to the, Ra- I think the Raptors, like that's, that was great. Like that was awesome. That was a fun team. But I don't know, like, it's like, we'll get into this with the center thing or something too, but like, however you feel about Joel Embiid versus Rudy Gobert, like, I think we're going to win a championship with Rudy Gobert. If we do not, but we would have with Joel Embiid, I'd rather keep trying with Rudy Gobert. That's my, that's, I don't know. Maybe that's because we grew up on a team that did that, but I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. Like, the fun thing for me is having a team that's relevant and a team that's got a chance and so much like happenstance and odds and injury luck and a bunch of other things have to happen for you to win like the raptors could have easily lost in the second round last year but for a crazy bounce but they won um so it's just fun right to like this is a team that you like to cheer for and they're doing it so it's a good thing that dad called um gail miller and talked about that strategy hence he's never quit right. so that they could employ it <laughs>
1: Who's the best center? I don't know. Yay! Okay, so segment three, we had a shout-out. Thanks for the listen. McKay Richens, our boy. Um, And McKay McKay. wanted to throw in a piece. Um, He wanted to hear our opinion, and we talked about it a little bit last week. Well, just our love for Rudy Gobert. But he wanted to hear um, both of our opinions on how we thought Rudy Gobert ranked among centers in the NBA.
0: Yeah, and uh, a little a little context here. Love you, McKay, yeah. with my whole heart. You're a, you're a wonderful person, a great basketball player. Um, he actually asked, talk about Gobert versus Cat as if that yeah. was the battle for third. So we expanded that to be a, a more true question. Um, but go ahead.
1: Yeah. So and um, so I just wanted to open that up with so I, was, um, I guess just as opening. So ESPN had their top 100 rankings. Which we favor, ESPN, in this sense, Um, and so Anthony Davis, by his own choice, not by his athletic ability and height and what he really plays, has chosen to not be qualified as a center.
0: So yeah, he's out. Let me jump in here for two seconds. Considering
1: Anthony Davis,
0: yeah, let me jump in for two seconds on him, just because our whole lives. Any any jazz fan has had to deal with this, like Tim Duncan is the greatest power forward ever, even though Tim Duncan a hundred percent was a center and played center the entire time, and regardless of what he was on an All Star voting or something, he was a center. Carmelo was the best power forward ever, but people still call him the best power forward ever just because he chose it. So finally, I'm gonna get some like I'm gonna get some <laughs> satisfaction about being on the other end of this and saying Anthony Davis, you're a power forward, you're out. Also, you never play a whole season. Um, you're disqualified. Yep. (laughs) So
1: um, going through the ESPN 100, they have, um, just as far as centers go, they have um, Nikola Jokic. He's number seven, so he's their first center off the board. And then Joel Embiid is ranked number eight, and he's the second center off the board. Um, And then going to Rudy Gobert is the third center at 14, and Carl Anthony Towns is... Um, the fourth center at 18, um, and so I guess just to open up that. Let's hear your thoughts.
0: So this is tough. I am going to try to be as unbiased as possible. I would open this up by saying maybe I should have done this at the end, but I'm just going to say this at first that I would trade no one for Rudy Gobert. Like literally, I thought about this um, in in depth, and the only circumstance under which I would trade Rudy Gobert is if Gail Miller called me and said, we got to do this, but as part of it, we're going to give you a 10-day contract and you're going to stand in the corner and shoot threes. And I would cry. I would cry. I would probably try to call Rudy. I don't have his number. I would send a message to him and I would just say, I'm sorry, but I need this. Um, so that's my baseline. I would trade none of them. Look, I get the Joel Embiid thing. Uh, he, to me, looks like Akeem Olajuwon, but taller and can shoot from the outside. I think Akeem Olajuwon is the is the best center that I've seen in my lifetime besides prime Shaq. And I probably favor Akeem Olajuwon just because I love the all-around nature of his game. Uh, but Shaq was so dominant. Joel Embiid, he's also fun. I, I, I think he's fun. I, I think the cool thing about these guys is they all have pretty good nicknames. Joel Embiid, the process, Rudy Gobert, the stifled tower, the French rejection, uh, Nikola Jokic, the joker, all, all solid. Um, right. Carl Anthony Towns, Cat. Cat. I don't know. He's, yeah, he's disqualified for that reason for me. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the, that's the <laughs> But cat cat's an interesting one. So I guess I would say if anybody put Joel Embiid as the top of their list, when he was crying at the end of the playoffs last year, I loved it. Um, he's so skilled offensively. And I think he's of these three, the only one uh, or four, the only one who comes close to Gobert's defensive ability and I get that he might be a little more mobile on the perimeter. Um, so my biggest thing with him is that he just gets hurt a lot and he's not in great shape. And Gobert is so driven that he maximizes his physical abilities every year and gets a little better every year. If Joel Embiid does that, he could end up being, you know, among the best five basketball players ever. Like, I, he he's that good. So I, I think, look, if you have him as number one, I'm totally cool with that. Um, the Carl Anthony Towns thing from a history perspective, real quick, there was a guy named Sharif Abdul Rahim who played for like the Grizzlies and some other teams in the nineties. He was the first person I can remember that was a good stats, bad team guy that I was aware of that being a thing. Like he would always be over 20 points a game, sometimes 2010. He was an all-star once. Carl Anthony Towns is way better than him. I I wanted to call him like a Sharif Abdul Rahim. Like I had like all these advanced stats um, that I pulled up, and they're a lot more kind to Carl Anthony Towns than I thought they were going to be. But at the same time, he's he's been like chosen by the GMs in the preseason before as the guy to build a franchise around, yet they've had some talented teams, and they can't get – they get in the playoffs like once, they lose in the first round. His playoff stats are uh, way way below his regular season stats. He's got it a lot. He's got the whole game, the whole package, but he is not – Shown it to me yet? So I I don't know if you're if you chose him over Gobert, I would just fundamentally disagree with that.
1: Yeah, and and I have this like weird echelon of like people that have it factors and and totally like guys that when it comes to like building your team around them, like they have to have the it factor. That's why I feel like Anthony Davis and the Pelicans never worked out, and why I wasn't I I don't know. It's like kind of soft, but like not as big of a, a power move as I thought when. Like him going to the Lakers, because like Anthony Davis, I feel like when has when Carl Anthony Towns like when has he helped the T-Wolves win when they when they really needed it? You know, like when are they when have they done anything big in the playoffs or I mean, you can't just like throw it all at Andrew Wiggins, you know?
0: No, and if legend holds true, literally last year, Jimmy Butler in practice took like the four guys at the bottom of the bench. And, and destroyed Wiggins, Towns, and the rest of the starters in a pickup game and then had someone from ESPN come and interview him after, about it afterwards. So if you're telling me Wiggins is a top 10 player or a top three center after that, give me a break, man. Gobert would have at least hit him in the face. And, like, <laughs> Gobert would have not stood for that. I just also, like, if you swapped out Gobert on those Minnesota teams with Butler and him and you put Wiggins on the Jazz, or sorry, not Wiggins, Towns, I just think the Timberwolves would have made the playoffs. I think they would have been better. I, I just think baseline, he's going to get you into the playoffs. And I think that's the same for Jokic. And I think that's the same for a healthy Embiid. Um, and so to me, he's the clear fourth. He could end up being better. That's 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 where I would try to be fair. Here's one thing I would say. I think the Gobert versus Jokic is super interesting. Because Jokic, I think almost every NBA Writer and non-jazz fan would say Jokic is better. Last season he was outstanding offensively, but when I was doing, I went to Basketball Reference and you can compare players. Like I, so, I put in these four guys, and it has advanced metrics. It has basic ones. The thing that I was most interested in was this metric called win shares. Um, I don't fully understand how it works, but it's meant to be a way. I think Bill James, who like invented modern sports analytics like did this, I don't know if it was a baseball stat first, but it's meant to like calculate what one player's effect on winning is on a team the most basically. And like the, how much of a their teams win is attributable to things that they do statistically. And there's an offensive stat and a defensive stat and the offensive win shares. Like, I think this is cumulative. I'm not sure. But like of, of these guys, um, like Jokic, is off the charts and on defensive, like Gobert is like worlds better than everybody. But if you do it by per forty eight minutes, um, Gobert has .218, I realize this is doesn't mean anything to most people, but point or me even point two one eight. Jokic has point two one four, and then Townsend and Embiid are under two. And I just think and I just think it's super it's super interesting because Nikola Jokic is a brilliant offensive player and he's actually better at defense than people give him credit for just cause he's big and smart. And yeah. Rudy Gobert is a spectacular defensive player. And he's also a lot better on offense than people give him credit for because he's big and smart. And I, so to me, that's like a real good debate. And I think last year you would have had to say Jokic had a better year Um mm-hmm. And so I I had no problem with people putting Jokic's first or second team on NBA and Rudy Gobert being third, but I'm just like, this is the matchup that I want to watch over the next two or three years. They're in the same division. They're both on teams that I think people are starting to warm up to the ideas of Jokic as a, a superstar, but they wouldn't, they're not the conventional or like the perimeter oriented superstar that's in the NBA now. And they're also on like smart teams that have built smartly around them and have other guys like Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell. I think he's way better than Jamal Murray, but who need to like ascend for them to be really good. And I just think it's a fun Rocky mountain rivalry.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I also I think like just what, if you're casually watching um, it's, I mean, it's harder to see the awesome things that Rudy's doing versus Carl um, Anthony Towns and or, or the Joker. So, I mean, that's why these advanced metrics and stats are so nice.
0: That... Yeah, he led the league. This is I mean, my favorite one. Story. Yeah, yeah, this is my favorite one because I think it's an easy stat to understand that, but you don't think about very much. But he leads the league, he, he did last year, I think the year before too, by a long shot in screen assists. So that leads to direct one. It's like anytime you set a screen and the guy you're screening for s- scores um, immediately. And, you know, that's a why is that different than an actual like assist where you pass them the ball? It's the same thing. It's leading to points on offense. So he just accounts for more offensive production than you think. Um, so look, if you if your list was Joel Embiid, um, Nikola Jokic, Gobert, Towns with an asterisk that Towns has uh, worlds of talent and could get better, I think that would be... A f- Wait, did I put Jokic for a second? <laughs> Gobert, yeah, but, yeah, I think that would be fair. Uh, my list would probably switch Gobert and and Jokic and all I'd say about Embiid is there's a thing around Utah that if you follow Jazz Twitter you probably know it's called DNP Gobert which means uh, every time he comes he doesn't seem to play against the Jazz and they should put on the injury list did (laughs) not play you know Norman they played did not play like hamstring injury or if it's Rodney Hood did not play gastroenteritis uh, but (laughs) or gastric distress but with uh, with Embiid, it's did not play Gobert. I don't know. Come play, Joel. Come to Utah and play this year if you think you're the best center in the NBA. Agreed. Was that not very? Bi- was that a little too biased? No, that was beautiful. All I right. think that was the Best way to end the segment. Um, We're in
1: the torso, by the way. We're in the torso. It's getting funky. Weird NBA mascots.
0: Yay. Um. Okay, so should, should we just uh, j-crowder this thing into a four-point play into one quick bonus thing?
1: Yep. All
0: right, you want to go?
1: Yeah, I'll go. Okay, so I didn't even tell you mine until we were right before. But so my um, and one has to do with mascots and team names. So this week I was um, – it was the Bucks game. I, st- I was watching the start, and then I had to go to like a – a school meeting or something like that. And so I was listening on the radio and David Locke was playing a recording of an interview that he had of Mike Conley before the game. And, and Mike Conley said, um, I just love being a Utah jazz. (laughs) And he stopped. And I was like, wait, like, did it cut out? Uh, Like, but then he kept talking, and I was like, "Did he just say a Utah Jazz?" And I thought, "What?" The heck? And then I, and then I thought through, and I was like, a "Utah Jazz, a Utah Jazz." And I was like, "It's weird that," and and the, I've been looking through all the other teams. Like, I'm an Atlanta Hawk, I'm a Boston Celtic. He was a Memphis Grizzly. But when you say, you have to say, "I am a member of the Utah Jazz," or "I am a Utah Jazz." It's too fan. much. But you can't it's say, "I am a Utah Jazz."
0: i thought it was so funny and i was just sitting
1: in the car and i was like this this is good this is good (laughs) but Uh, there's only a couple other teams that like i am a miami heat you can't really say that or um i am an orlando magic like what is a magic i don't know but i just thought it was
0: that's perfect i've got nothing to add to that other than uh, i'm just i'm just enjoying it
1: grandma knows best yay
0: um okay so my bonus thing um our grandma uh, our mom's mom grandma peggy grandma peggy matthews we love you um if you were to see me on facebook you would see that basically over the last two years my only interaction on facebook other than like posting instagram pictures is um conversations after every jazz game regular season and playoffs with our grandma who is a diehard jazz fan um it's it's kept my sanity at, um, it's talked, you know, every time I'm writing to my grandmother, I have to tone back my crazy a little bit. (laughs) So I love you, grandma. Thank you for that. After the last podcast, um, we got sent a lovely, uh, clip of, of grandma Peggy giving her favorite Quinn Snyder memory. So we're going to play it off with that. Thanks for listening. Boom.
1: Have a good one. One of my favorite memories of Quinn Snyder is one time during a game, he called a timeout and he had the when the players were all gathered around him, he just stood there and looked at them and he didn't say a word, but you could tell by the look on his face what he was thinking and feeling, and I just got a huge chuckle out of that, that he could just look at them and they knew what he was wanting. <laughs>